Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent, reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God. You raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it, may grow, that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I must admit, it's a bit colder down here compared to Darwin, but it's kind of nice here, isn't it? There's a bit of warmth coming through. People feel comfortable. Most people are nodding their heads. Actually, I hope you're not feeling too comfortable. I don't want to be nasty or anything like that, but do you know why I don't want you to feel comfortable? Because if you're a Christian, you're an exile. Have you ever thought about that before? an exile or like an alien, a stranger. And that's exactly how Peter began his letter, isn't it? What were the first words he used? To the chosen exiles, yeah, in certain places. But if we're Christians, that's us. We might be living in Australia in comfortable homes, but an exile is someone who's living away from where they belong. If you've ever had the experience of living for a time in a foreign country, you probably know how it feels to be an exile. As a foreigner, your habits, your lifestyle, your values, most likely they're going to be different from the locals. And you've probably tried in your travels maybe, in, say, East Timor or some other country in Vietnam or, you know, uh, China, something like that. Where have you been before? Thailand? Yeah, some people have been there. Maybe even, I don't know if it's quite like this in Europe, but, you know, those streets in busy cities where you've got hundreds of bikes and motorbikes swishing past you, all honking their horns, and you're thinking, how do I get across the road here? You quickly realize that things are done differently in different parts of the world. And the same thing applies on a spiritual level. You see, according to Peter, what's the hope that we have as Christians? What's the hope? You remember the message from last week? Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we have the hope of sharing in a wonderful and an eternal inheritance. But where is this inheritance? So have a look back in chapter 1, verse 4. Where is this inheritance? Is it here where we are now? These good things that God has in store for us, like eternal life and all of this? Is it in the here and now that we have right now at this moment in time? People are shaking their heads. Yeah, sometimes we wake up in the morning, we don't feel really eternal, do we? Probably not feeling on top of the world at times. Now our inheritance is in heaven, says Peter. It's not here. It's something that we're actually waiting for. That's why we hope for it. 
because we hope for what we don't see right now. And did you notice last time how Peter talked about salvation? I reckon most of the time as Christians, we tend to think that salvation is something that we already have. You tend to think that way? I'm saved? Yay, great. Well, there's a big element in which that's true, but note how Peter talks about salvation. So back last week, once again, chapter 1, verse 5, for Peter, when is salvation going to happen? Has it already happened or is it something we're waiting for? He uses the language of our salvation is ready to be revealed at the last time. So just think about that. If our inheritance isn't here but it's in heaven, if salvation isn't already but still it's still yet to come, in the future, what does that make us? It makes us exiles living in a foreign land. This place isn't our final destination. We don't yet have the fullness of salvation. And that changes our perspective on life in the here and now, or at least it should because we're exiles. We're away from home. We haven't yet reached our final destination. There's something greater yet to come. So how can we be comfortable with what we have now when the fullness of salvation is there in heaven? awaiting us. And really, this is the perspective that Peter expresses in this letter. I think we can think about 1 Peter. It's a bit like a manual to help foreigners survive while living in a foreign land. And the first thing that Peter recommends, and you saw this last week, it's hope and holiness. Set your hope on the grace that you'll experience when you come into possession of your inheritance when Jesus returns in glory. Keep your eyes on that. Don't lose sight of that. Maintain your faith through the time of testing. That's hope. But at the same time, we also need to be holy as God himself is holy. Don't get caught up in the desires of the ignorant, non-Christian way of life that exists all around us in society. And in our passage today, Peter basically adds to those two things that you saw last week, hope, which is connected in with faith, and holiness. And so he adds in three more things, three other virtues, and these are fear, love, and desire. So let's look at each of these virtues and see what we can learn. Peter mentions fear in verses 17 to 21. Fear is to characterize not our attitude to those around us, but rather our attitude to God. Fear is to characterize how we live in terms of our behavior. And Peter gives us three reasons why behaving fearfully is appropriate. The first reason is the reality of judgment. We call God our Father, don't we? Our Father, who is in heaven, Lord's Prayer and so on. That's, in fact, one of the wonderful privileges that we have as Christians. God is our loving Heavenly Father. But at the same time, as Peter points out in verse 17, God is also to quote Peter, the one who judges impartially according to each one's work. So when Jesus returns, it's not just the day when we will receive our inheritance. 
It's also the day when everyone will be judged. And God will judge impartially. He'll judge everyone fairly in accordance with our work, in accordance with what we've done. So if God is the judge and we're going to be judged by him just like everyone else, we need to make sure that we behave in a way that's consistent with this fact for the duration of our exile here on earth. Don't think that God doesn't see what you do or that it doesn't matter. The second reason for behaving fearfully is the cost of our redemption. Peter reminds us in verses 19 and 20 that we've been redeemed. And when he says redeemed, he means like ransom. The price has been paid and we've been ransomed from the cultural traditions of our ancestors. Now, some of us have had the blessing of growing up in a Christian household. But think about how your parents or ancestors used to live. Think about the values of the society in which they grew up in. And for those of you who haven't known Jesus from when you were young, well, you've had some kind of clear conversion experience where you can compare and contrast your old way of life to how God wants you to live as a Christian. Think about your old way of life. Think about the futile values that you once followed and believed. Think about the values of the godless society around us. Friends, we've been saved from all of that. But that salvation came at a price. And the price for our redemption wasn't calculated using perishable things. Peter mentioned silver or gold, the money of the day. No, our redemption came at the staggering cost of the life of none other than God himself in human form. The life of Christ, his precious blood was spilt so that you might be saved. He was a sacrificial lamb without any blemish or spot. He didn't deserve to be slaughtered, but he paid the price at the cost of his own blood to set us free from bondage to sin following the lifestyle of the locals. So, friends, if we've been set free from all of that, it's not right for us then to, in a sense, turn back and indulge in it. As exiles who long for a heavenly homeland, we need to maintain an exilic lifestyle, a lifestyle that's appropriate for God's people. If you lower your gaze and join in doing what the locals do, giving in to the temptation of this world, it means you never really wanted your heavenly inheritance. The third reason for behaving fearfully is the reality of resurrection to glory. Even though Christ had been foreknown by God before the foundation of the world, it's only been relatively recent in time that Christ has been revealed, you know, 2,000 years ago, relatively late in terms of human history. And when he was revealed in the last of the ages for our sake, says Peter in verse 20, God then raised Christ from the dead and glorified him. Why does Peter mention this? I think he mentions it because he wants us to see that the reality of what's happened to Jesus, the reality of Christ's resurrection to glory, that assures us that ultimately serving God 
is worthwhile. If we maintain our hope and our faith in God like Jesus did, then we can be assured of following in his footsteps, experiencing what he experienced. We can be assured that resurrection and glory will also be ours when the time comes. So, friends, these things, the reality of judgment, the cost of our redemption, the reality of resurrection to glory, all of these, they help encourage us to behave in a way that shows that we fear God and that we hope and trust in him. So that's fear. But the second thing today is love. And Peter mentions this in verses 22 through to 25. And the love that he has in mind here isn't romantic love. Lots of movies made about romantic love, yeah. And it is good. But really what Peter has in mind here is our love for one another. And I take it when he says love one another here, it's, it's our love for our fellow exiles, the other members of our expat community here in the world, our love for other Christians, and especially those who are part of the local church that we belong to. Peter realises that for us to be dedicated to one another, we first need to be dedicated to obeying God's truth as revealed to us in the gospel. And just think about it. What's the gospel ultimately a story about? It's a story about how much God loves us. And we see that in Jesus, don't we? Love. We see God's love in how he sent his son into the world to be a sacrifice for us. We see Christ's love for us in giving up his life so that we might live. And that love, that self-sacrificial service of others more than ourselves, that love is the model, isn't it, for us as disciples and followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus wants to see in us, his own likeness being reflected within our way of living. So Christian service shouldn't be viewed really negatively or as a burden. Sometimes it can be that, yes, sure, but it shouldn't ultimately be viewed that way. Because more than anything else, the things we do for each other in our church community these things are opportunities for us to obey the gospel by loving others in the way that Jesus did. Don't think of them as burdens, but as opportunities to be more like Jesus and to love. So, friends, if we understand the gospel, I think then we'll understand very clearly about the need for a brotherly love, a sisterly love that is sincere. A love that is literally, Peter says, unhypocritical and which comes from a clean heart and which is eager and enthusiastic. Now, what does an unhypocritical love look like, do you think? When we think of hypocrisy, what do we normally think of? Yeah. Hypocrisy is saying one thing or committing yourself to one thing, but then doing the opposite. Yeah, it's pretending to be something that you aren't really or something that you portrayed yourself to be. In the context of church, what does a hypocritical love look like, do you think? I reckon it would be something like the kind of love that only really exists on the surface. 
doesn't really come from your heart. It's the kind of love that says, oh, I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. Great to see you. But in reality, I don't care. I don't really care about how you're going or how your walk with the Lord is or how you're doing physically. Now, we say we're brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? We believe that of one another. But how genuine is that commitment? Are you really prepared to give up some of your time and resources for the sake of a brother or sister here at church who needs help in some way or just a little bit of encouragement? We say we're brothers and sisters, but just how genuine and fervent is that love? Now, keep in mind here that we've been given new life. Peter mentions this in verse 23. God's given us new life, not through perishable seed, Peter says, which is human sperm, really, he's talking about there. No, the life force that we have at work within us, it's not perishable. It's imperishable because it's the living and abiding word of God that's given us this life. And you can see in verses 24 and 25, Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 there, where he contrasts the eternal word of God with temporal human flesh. To make this contrast, Isaiah compares us humans to grass and grass flowers. Now, I know some of you here like flowers. And I know even beautiful women are sometimes compared to a beautiful flower. And there are lots of beautiful flowers in the world. I have to admit that. But think about it. What happens to the flower in the end? Does it stay beautiful forever? It ends up drying up and falling off. We humans in our glory, what are we really? Yes, when we're young, we sometimes think we're indestructible and perhaps even a little bit or even a tiny bit good-looking, maybe. But just wait until you start to get old like me. i tell you this. In a handful of years or so, I'll be, how old? Anyone want to guess? What did you say? 60? You've got to be kidding me. I can't be 60 in just a few more years' time, can I? I, I really can't get my head around that. Like 60? That's like all wrinkly skin and emerging health problems. And the thing is, I see you're sort of laughing at my predicament, but we're all getting older at the same rate. I'm just more advanced along the track, perhaps, right? But one day you'll probably get there too. You'll wake up, look in the mirror, and you'll realize, hey, that's you, an old person. Start getting ready for your funeral. <laughs> You see, human flesh doesn't last forever. It eventually dries up, falls down, and fades away. But friends, the word of the Lord isn't like that. The word of the Lord, the gospel, it endures forever. And the thing is, if the eternal word of God is the seed that's created us, then the life force within us will never be extinguished. It's not going to dry up, fall away, and fade. And I think Peter's telling us this because God's given us this new life in part for the sake of loving one another, 
know, when people are alive, they do things, don't they? God's given us this new life to do things for one another. He wants us to love one another in a way that even reflects the enduring nature of his word. To love genuinely and constantly. The eternal word in God creates eternal life in us so that we might show eternal love to one another. So please think about how genuine and constant your love is for the brothers and sisters here at HPCC. And this brings us to our third and final point today, desire. And this can be found in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And Peter lists in chapter 2, verse 1, the kinds of things we need to get rid of from our lives. We need to put away all of the kinds of things that would get in the way, basically, of genuinely loving one another. So all evil, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Let's think about that. Why are we so easily tempted to say bad things about other people and usually behind their backs? Why do we easily get envious of another person's good fortune? God wants us to leave those things behind so that we can focus on being babies. What? You want to be like a baby? Well, well, that's what Peter says here, right? Have a look in chapter 2, verse 2. Start being a baby. Like newborn babies yearn after the spoken, unadulterated milk in order that you might grow into salvation. We're to be like babies in the sense that just as newborn babies crave their mother's milk, so too we're to yearn after, to crave after the pure milk that God gives us. And I think in the NIV translation there it said the spiritual milk. What's this spiritual milk? Well, it's handy to know. This word spiritual here, literally, it's got relations with our word logical. You ever heard Jesus talked about as being the logos, the word of God? So one way of translating it here is the, the spoken word, the word of the gospel that's being talked about here. This pure logical milk is the milk of God's word. We need God's word in order to grow spiritually it's like a baby lots of mothers here yeah to some extent what happened you got to feed your baby in order for it to grow in the same way it's through god's word that we grow but just think about it if we're being unkind or deceitful or hypocritical or envious or slanderous how can our focus be on getting as much of God's wonderful milk into our tummies as possible? If we're, in a sense, focused on other people and putting them down. No. You know, it's like walking into a banquet hall and you've got this so oh, wonderful food in front of you, but then someone turns and eats instant noodles. <laughs> Sorry if you're an instant noodle type person, but look, there's crab, there's lobster. These things that taste so good. And for Peter, that's God. He tastes so good. You've got to feed on him and his word. Don't get distracted by all these other things here. You need to imbibe the milk that God provides. Desire God. Desire learning from him. Desire his teaching and you will grow and grow so much so that you ultimately turn into a spiritual sumo. You'll be so fat and strong and you'll experience at that time the fullness 
of salvation. Something good to look forward to. Not just being a baby, but ultimately a sumo. Anyway, friends, overall today, what have we learned from God's word? As exiles, longing for heaven. Peter wants us to add to our hope and our holiness. He wants us to add in the qualities of fear, love, and desire. We're to behave fearfully before God, who is the judge of all. We're to love one another genuinely and fervently from the heart. And like newborn babies, we're to desire God's word and to grow up into salvation. Hope, holiness, today we've learned fear, love and desire i hope that's you let's pray heavenly father thank you that today we can look at this very interesting letter that peter wrote to the chosen exiles we pray lord that you would help us to see really as christians living in this world There should be a sense in which we're uncomfortable, in which we're longing for something greater, longing for our inheritance and the fullness of salvation, living as exiles in a foreign land. Lord, we acknowledge that can be difficult at times if we can be distracted. But we pray that you'll help us to stay focused on Jesus and how he lived. And that we ourselves, we would behave in a way that respects you as judge and that we would be eager and keen to love one another here and to support one another in whatever way we can. And Lord, through all of this, that we be empowered through your life-giving word. As babies crave their mother's milk, we pray that we would crave your teaching. In Jesus' name. Amen. We invite Reverend Stephen back up on stage and we will answer some questions. Okay. Looks like no one has any questions. I've got a question <laughs> for you guys. Like out of the three things we looked at today, so fear, love, desire, which one do you think maybe you struggle with the most? Or maybe even our church. It'd be an interesting question, wouldn't it? In what ways love hard, do you think, John? I guess people have a tendency towards being selfish, like oh, I don't know, maybe maybe not maybe it's just me, maybe I'm talking about me. Um yeah, just I think have it's a, probably true of everyone, right? We're yeah. all a bit selfish. Yeah. yeah. And then and then when you do love, you're like, Oh, am I like am I doing this for some gain for myself anyway? Because mm. I guess like <clears throat> Like when you do something for some someone else, it's not the effect isn't purely just for them. Like you get something out of it as well most of the time. So yeah. it's like hard to like clarify. Is it like am I doing it for them or am I still doing it's it? It's one that you do here. Like a, a lot of times, I've heard of people, particularly when people, Christian people that I'm talking to, or they could even be friends or whatever. But when people have say recently moved church or changed church or that big decision comes often when people are thinking about what church they attend or like often the question comes up i just wasn't or they'll say i just wasn't getting anything from that do you know what i mean and i can understand that you want to be fed and peter says we've, we've got to feed upon god's word and all of that kind of thing right but to what extent is it me and my needs compared to the needs of the people at that place that perhaps I can contribute to. Now that's a hard decision, I know, and you don't want to judge people necessarily one way or the other, but you would hope that in coming to whatever decision it is that they've made there, that they have not just looked at what they get from church, but they also think about what can I contribute to these people, my brothers and sisters here. Yeah. 
yeah, it is hard. We do struggle with it, I think. And it's also an issue that's probably come up with COVID and all that and going online and and various reasons why people might want to be at home and so on. And if you've got health issues that could be compromised by getting sick or whatever it may be, you've got to do the right thing at that point. But also to what extent, because I, I, you know, we've, we've been up in Darwin, we, we can't physically be here, but it is a totally different experience being here in person. You see the whole person, you see their gestures and, So to be able to meet people and actually see them in the flesh, there is something to that. So that's also linked in, I think, to here. Sure, if we have to go online, we go online, but how do we love online compared to in person? Even people who are dating, right, or want to find a partner in life, they might start off online, say, but do they stay online forever? No. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Anybody else the, um, that, um, to answer Reverend Stephen's question? Oh, okay. Yeah, that was my yeah. question to you guys, but you, you've got some questions <laughs> Okay, that's fine. Yeah. I think for me personally, I think it's the, to fear God sometimes because uh, we, we are not perfect and we always fall into temptation. We always fall into sins and we do tend to sin. And when you sin, obviously you forgot that, you know, yeah. how powerful God is that yep. you know he's always watching and he... and it's a bit like isn't it what we yeah. said today in the sense that sometimes it's like because society is all around us yeah. just turn on the tv or look yeah. online or whatever it can be hitting you in the face whatever yeah. it may be if you somehow think that that's you yeah you're going to do that yeah and so having in this our thinking that we're you know we're exiles here mm-hmm. this isn't the ultimate reality for us we're heading somewhere else it's like we've got a different nationality Mm. you know i don't cross the road like you know that picture of the people crossing the road i don't cross the road that way right (laughs) that's not how i talk or that's not how i spend my money or occupy my time yeah yeah that's right and and so maybe right at that point we've got Mm. to think hey yeah i'm different Mm. god wants me to be different that's right yeah don't just follow the crowd that's right yeah Yeah. and fear god (laughs) is part of that yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, if we don't have any other things um, to ask in person, um, Jeremy, any questions in on Zoom? No. Okay. All good. Let's uh, jump onto the online. None from Darwin about like how I'm going or something <laughs> like that. Anyway, that's all right. I'll talk to them later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. First question. How much do we actually change when we become born again? How much do we actually change? So it's an interesting question to look at, well, how do we change? And basically the way it works is it's a bit like learning anything. It takes time. It requires input that keeps on getting put in over time. And that's the whole point about craving God's word, you know, through joining together like this, reading the Bible for yourself, thinking more deeply about these things. We get more and more of God's way of thinking into our heads. And that takes time because no matter how good the environment is that we're born into, our heads are kind of scrambled. And so we've got to unscramble all of these connections and then we learn bad habits and stuff. So to be able to unscramble all of that, Mm. we need to have God's input coming in constantly, constantly, constantly. And we grow over time that way. Okay. So it should be our whole life ultimately is transformed. And what it might be is depends on what stage you're at, but I often find at least in my life, God will be, focusing on it's often like particular areas Mm. or particularly weaknesses that you have Mm. there are things that you work on that work on that the holy spirit works on that cleans out this room then goes to the next one you know but so every aspect of our life is meant to be being transformed but there are particular sins that we all might be like personally Mm. um, you know you might be tempted by lying compared to uh, sexual sin or whatever it might be you know different things out there but okay god's going to work on that and over time what god wants to see is that that thing whatever it is that is holding you 
in some kind of bondage, it's, it's not as strong as it once was. You, you might have your times when you might turn back or get distracted or whatever, mm. but mm. over time we want the bondage of sin, all of those bonds, you know, the chains of sin to be not as strong mm. and ultimately to be fully released. You know? But it's a process, a process that takes time as more and more of God's word yeah. becomes our way of thinking. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, next question. Can you define slander? Is telling the truth about someone considered okay? Well, there's some lawyers here. Is that right? Like a uh, slander. Slander is normally saying something negative about someone that's not true, really. Mm. Okay. So I think that solves the problem here doesn't it like um if you're just telling the truth but you do have to ask the question why are you telling that piece of true information at this particular moment in time Mm. right sometimes it's best not to say some things yeah Mm. even perhaps at times between husband and wife Mm. right so my job i might know certain things that that person's asked to be kept confidential Mm. all right i need to respect that request okay so ultimately like sure as families you will often talk about oh this person today or whatever it may be and so on and that Mm. but we should be wanting what is best for that person so even in our conversation together even if we're saying oh you know came across this dodgy person the other day or whatever it may be Mm. be a little bit careful whatever hopefully that's not in the church right but in particular, when it comes to other members of the Christian group that we're a part of, yeah. we would want them to talk about us in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. And likewise, for us to talk about whoever it may be. Ultimately, brother and sister in Christ, you should want what is best. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to affect then how you talk about people. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, the next question is, how do you laugh more genuinely? Now, maybe this question came from someone here. I don't know, but I thought I might throw this one to you guys. Like, <laughs> say for us, like the message today was really in terms of the love aspect. It was how can we love mm. each other more genuine, like more genuinely and fervently and from the heart. Mm. So what would that look like for us here? You know, it, it could mean for some one person who's just been saying, like, I don't want to keep on hitting this, but say, if you haven't been here for a while, to say, hey, I'm actually going to be here <laughs> to express my care and concern and love for even whoever it might be that I have a conversation with today. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of different ways. So even just your very presence here sure can be an encouragement. Yeah. yeah? yeah. What, what do you think in terms of what are some things we could do or need to pay attention to in order for our love to be genuine? I think one would be we would want everyone who is present here in church. It's a little bit harder online, but we're acknowledging people there. Yeah. Yep. Hello, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and get in touch, you know, get through being able to send something in. We want to hear what you're going through to pray mm-hmm. for you, support you, whatever it may be. But for people here physically, mm-hmm. they feel welcomed to be here. They feel, feel valued to be here. Yep. They feel there's a sense of, you know, there are people here in this place who really are, concerned about me in the good in the good way yep. yeah if i had an issue i know there's someone here i could maybe talk to yep. talk through something yep someone would be prepared to spend time with me dealing mm. with this issue whatever it may be now i think ultimately what is it that you want people to be in relation to you in terms of how they would support and encourage you well let's be that in re- in relation to everyone here ultimately we're brothers and sisters you know don't think that you're isolated and alone 
that we're just in our little family groups, whatever it may be. One of the good things about Christianity is it opens all that up mm-hmm. and invites everyone in to be a part of God's family. Yep. So everyone here, I should be concerned about. Mm, yep. Praying for, seeking to encourage. How can we do that? Anyone got any thoughts or observations or yes, Susan? Microphone? Yeah. This is in particular for the people online. We care about you guys. So hopefully you can hear what Susan's about to say. Yes. I I was just thinking that perhaps as um, even God's people, that we wear our mask too well um, with each other. We're scared to reveal our emotions, our hurts, our pain, and actually genuinely ask people to pray for us. And I think that maybe we're conditioned by the world to think that way, um, where we want to appear we've got everything under control. Mm. When we may turn up to church or we're scared to come to church, we'd rather stay online because we don't want people to see or ask us yeah. how we're doing. Yeah. We don't want to answer that. And yeah. if we say we're doing well when we're not, we may appear to be lying to people or dis- yeah. you know, not genuine. Yes. And I think that could be a big obstacle to um, a church, including ours, um, where we cannot genuinely love you or each other if we're always hiding behind a mask Mm. and say, we're all good, everything's under control. So that's not just a mask in relation to other people, it can be a mask in relation to yourself. Yeah. So one of the things I've definitely learned growing up as a Christian, and I think it's a good lesson that God's taught me so i'll share it with you and that is that in a way it's only as you enter into your own vulnerabilities and own weaknesses and your moments of pain that you can through your own suffering appreciate just something a little bit about the suffering of jesus right and then that opens you up to the suffering of others to the extent that it's almost like if you suffer i suffer and i don't want that for you so i'm going to do everything i can sure there will be moments of suffering we're living in this kind of world right but to do what i can to help you through that because it's almost as if i'm you and you're me I think that's ultimately where the gospel leads us, doesn't it? But part of the key of that is actually being open and honest with yourself and moving from your pain to Jesus's pain, which helps you then to see the pain and suffering of others and to do something about it, even if it's just praying for people. So, yeah, I think, Susan, what you said there is, is quite true. All right. Anybody else that you want to share your thoughts? Or Okay. If not, we'll go one more last question. And that is, how do we fear God on Judgment Day? And why do we need to fear him? Yeah. It's a good question. Uh, there are two elements to this. The first element is that there can be people who say they're Christian, but they're living totally hypocritically, right? And uh, Jesus talks about this. You call me Lord, Lord, but you you never knew me, all right? So some people who would say, I'm a Christian, everything's fine, they think, between them and God, but really they haven't had any genuine faith in them, right? So on the day of judgment, those people will have a scary message to hear. And that's why... I think Peter's saying to us, you know, make sure that on the day of judgment, you don't fit into that category of the people who have somehow deceived themselves, thinking that they're right with God when you're not. Mm. Okay. And keep in mind that that faith biblically is a fully orbed thing. It it includes how we respond to God in the things we do. You know, we we shouldn't try and compartmentalize faith is just something in our heads. It doesn't have any connection with how we actually live. Okay. Yeah. On that day of judgment. So for for people like that, it would be depart from me, you evildoers. 
in effect. You know, Jesus uses this type of language. You said or you claim to be a Christian, but you never really ever knew me. Look at how you live. Look at what you did. Look at your attitudes here. You were never really one of mine. So it would be something along those lines. You know, I, I don't want to quote Jesus who's yet to say these things in the future, but it's, mm. we, we get little indications. Jesus does talk about the day of judgment. He does use that language, depart from me, you evil doers. Mm. All right. The second aspect is it applies to people who are right with God. And that is there will be a full accounting for how each one of us have lived our individual lives. And, you know, some people might not agree with this, and, but I think the vast majority of Christians have always understood that there are degrees of what we call blessing in heaven, just as there are degrees of punishment in hell. Okay. So partly how this works out is the person who's sacrificed themselves fully for God, God's going to acknowledge that compared to the person who just stumbles over, you know, into heaven. Mm. Paul also talks about this in terms of Christian leaders. Mm. There's some who have been building with gold, silver, stone, wood. And there are some whose work has been so useless that it'll all get burnt up and they'll just arrive in heaven with singed clothing. He uses that kind of imagery. Mm. Right? As if to say... You know, how we live, it is important. There will be an accounting for it. There are, in a sense, eternal consequences here. Those who sacrificed more for me in this life, there will be payback in a good sense. Jesus does use that language. We don't talk about it a lot, but it's actually there because it's meant to be an encouragement for us to be prepared to sacrifice and do the hard yards here, knowing that. God will acknowledge that. Okay? It's not through our own goodness or anything like that that gets us into heaven, right? Ultimately, it's the perfect blood of Jesus, right? But being covered by the perfect blood of Jesus, God wants us to live like Jesus. And so that is one criteria on the day of judgment. To what extent have you lived like Jesus? And? Even though we're not perfect, those who have had a genuine faith will be welcomed in to the kingdom of heaven. And actually, the Bible uses the language of rewarded. Imagine that. You don't deserve it. It's all God's work. But yet, in grace, he even rewards you. It's an encouragement. It's worth it. Hard yards, yeah, difficult at that time, but friends, it's worth it. Eternally so. Indeed, indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you very much.